Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 354. Jason Lingren is with me, and David Merlin is going to join us. His nickname is Data, if you hear that within the scope of the show. And we're going to be talking about legal ideas. And also, there's another storm coming in to hit Jason as if they need more water. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And from rainy Louisiana, hello. Okay, so let's jump right in here. Uh, welcome, David. Thank you. Actually, welcome, but we've got a little intro for you. I guess it's you, Jason. David Merland specializes in U.S. tax law, but has also learned a great deal about other areas of law. He teaches that the law is perfect, just as it's written, and adheres to strict standards in his writings and in his tactics. He's an independent paralegal and whistleblower who has nothing in common with the movement that hasn't moved since 1992. Dave has observed a myriad of enforcement patterns that most often bring the government to the front door and has heard of municipal misconduct from literally hundreds of people over the years. From all this experience, though, certain favorite tactics have risen to the top of his list of what to do when government finds you. He's written state and federal criminal complaints across America against public servants for a wide range of offenses. So get ready to take notes. Citizens arrest and applying criminal statutes to fact traffic court, small claims court, preparing to sue a municipality for tort, making discovery rule violations pay, recusing a judge, preventing an income tax criminal charge, etc. All right. Well, that's a pretty good intro. Nobody's wondering what's about to happen here. Anyhow, David, let's do first things first. Can you be contacted and do you have things online people can go see? Contact me. Uh, You go through my promoter, Christopher Chapman. Everybody on the call, get ready to write. I've got a bunch of stuff to give you. Get ready to write. Chris Chapman can be contacted at AmericanLiberties.llc. That's AmericanLiberties.llc at gmail.com. And just ask for more information. We might even be able to arrange a personal consultation with you if that's what you need. There are some people out there that are genuinely on fire because of what government does to people. And I'm not working for anybody anymore. I've retired. But as far as consultation, that's pretty light work for me. So uh, we might get a complimentary phone call in with you. You're going to get bombarded. This is hour one. Uh, Do you want to give out a website and YouTube as well? And I'm not kidding. That email address is about to get blown up. Okay. Um, my name is David Merlin. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. Write this down. We v gov, as in we the people versus government. We v gov.com slash crow slash. And then you'll add these addresses to that. We v gov.com slash crow slash. I'm going to give you a bunch of freebies to start the show, but you also want to write down takefromcaesar.us, takefromcaesar, takefromcaesar.us. There's links at the top of that page to my YouTube channel, back to wevgov.com. Clemency1.com is about a clemency petition that I filed with uh, the White House in the last administration asking for a uh, due process pardon for all people who have been convicted of tax crimes when all they did was sell their labor. It's all briefed. It's in one publication, clemency1.com and tupotus.com. And my YouTube channel is linked from the top of takefromcaesar.us. The name of my YouTube channel is Take From Caesar. 
And remember what you see on the web, folks, is just the free stuff. My courses are dynamite. My courses teach tactics. My courses are loaded with Microsoft Word documents instead of just uh, somebody standing at a podium telling you what to do. I got Microsoft Word documents that I've drafted for clients over the years with a particular set of tactics in mind that, uh, let's put it this way, I never got any respect from government until 2001 when I started writing and filing citizens' criminal complaints against public servants. And then I could tell they didn't want to see me as often. And uh, it was a different day. The people who I, for whom I've drafted criminal complaints, uh, plenty of them have reported that uh, it really twisted an, uh, <laughs> it twisted a knot in the enthusiasm of the government. And I'm going to give you some stuff today that uh, I, I keep in the forefront, arguments to make <clears throat> for a myriad of different situations that we most often find ourselves in when dealing with the traffic code, uh, municipal misconduct. That's a big one with me. And uh, I've got a course, a couple of courses about municipal misconduct and criminal complaints that uh, equip you with a set of tactics that should make you somebody the municipal judge doesn't want in their courtroom again. I'm not a sovereign citizen. If you're a whistleblower, the government can't afford to call you a whistleblower. They got to call you something. They chose to call me a sovereign citizen. Uh, from what I, the news reports I've seen, I think that's somebody that lobs hand grenades at the patrol car when they get pulled over in a traffic stop. Okay, this is about law. This is about law. Jurisdictionary, the course teaches the practice of law, I teach law and a few tactics, but it's not about managing your civil suit and uh, it's not a full expose on how to handle a criminal charge. It is a myriad, it really is. There's a wealth of ideas I have about addressing misconduct. I don't work for guilty people. And so when innocent people are under the wheels of the government, it's because of misconduct. And I have to tell you, the top of that list is learning to read the criminal code. Take from Caesar. Oh, let me see. Let's, uh, the course page address is wevgov.com slash P for products. wevgov.com slash P. There's my list of very inexpensive products for the amount of information you get in each of the courses. That's how to get my courses and publications. My YouTube channel is dynamite. And uh, our host, can tell you what kind of recommendation he got from uh, Jess on the Brink and from Alphonse regarding my abilities and the quality of my work. I'll let him speak for me. And that's how to get my courses and publications. Let, let me jump in here, David. Do you have an account at Crow 777 Radio? No, I don't. Okay. Two things. As soon as we get off the air, fire me an email so that I can make you an account. So the days this goes live, we can get you down into comments in every link that you just mentioned, please get them off to Rose so I can get them posted. Uh, that's a lot of information. I'd like to just have the links at the top of comments when I put this live. Sure. At the top of takefromcaesar.us, you'll see a bunch of links to my various efforts. Okay, perfect. Just make sure Rose has the links. And when I put this all together and build the pages, I'll get it. So David, I want to get as much as we can into hour one. Can I jump down to five? Uh, no, I'd like a little background. All right, let's do it. Okay, Dave, how long have you been in law? And what did you do before that? In 1988, just about April 15th, 
the IRS came to my door, knocked on my door, and I didn't like the way I was treated. So in June of 88, I started studying tax law, the hardest law on the planet. I jumped right into it with no prior instruction in law, no academic effort in college to speak of. I went sports and community college for two years, uh, but I basically had uh, a high school education and I was the world's fastest bartender. You don't tick off your bartender. It's older than all of us. And uh, I didn't like the way I was treated in 1988. <clears throat> I'm a huge competitor, 6'9 in the high jump, 48 feet in the triple jump. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I was slamming basketballs at halftime at NBA games for the Pepsi dunk team. <clears throat> and when I take the field, my job is to make my opponent look terrible. And all of that comes with me to tax law, the hardest law on the planet. And in five and a half years of study, research, and administrative interaction with the IRS on behalf of uh, people that came to me for help, I learned a great deal. And in the tax code, I found some stuff that nobody else argues. The government says I'm a citizen of the United States. Great. I'm a citizen of the United States. Now, let's see what the law says you can do to me. You hear that? I couch what I do in the law. And I don't make the argument, I'm a non-resident alien and the rest of it, okay? I don't do anything the movement does. Larry B. Kraft, one of his staples, he's in Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama attorney, specializes in uh, tax criminal cases. He's the preeminent authority on the legislative history of income taxation in America. And one of his staples is to pull out somebody's work that says they got a handle on the tax code. And he chops it to ribbons and tells them how they're wrong. What did he do with my work? He invited me to interview on his radio show three times, and he's never contradicted my findings regarding the tax code. So the first thing I did in law <clears throat> was analyze the tax code, and then beginning in January of 94, tax court, and then five people all the way to the Supreme Court by the October term of 1998, self-taught. And it is a ton of work. I did the work. I did the time on case law. I was a case law fiend, and I have to tell you, reading's not easy for me. While I'm speaking what I read, I do real well. When I shut my mouth and read, I don't read any faster. So reading is a real drag, but I did it anyway. I've read over 4,500 federal decisions, and in the first three years, I'd spend a week in the law library about statutory interpretation, income taxation, tax code statute interpretation, and uh, I did it honestly with instruction straight from judges. You have to view case law as an ocean of free seminars directly from judges. And that should turn you on about uh, reading case law. Can I ask you a question about taxes? Please do. Are people being legally taxed? <laughs> I know that's a pretty broad thing. And I know okay. we pay state and federal, but you see where I'm going, I think. Yeah, if it's not legal... If it's not legally taxed, it is extortion and racketeering. See how the first thing I did is go to the criminal code? And so if it's not legal, it is illegal because a law prohibits it. And that's the other half. Nobody studies. Randy Kelton's done a bunch of work on the criminal code. And uh, you can see from my work that uh, I've done a ton of work on the criminal code, but you'll also see that uh, there aren't going to be very many people out there at all who write as well as I do. My pleadings look fantastic. My sentence structure, 
the structure of my memorandums. I've simply been up against the government's best dozens of times, and I hate looking bad. I want to look better than anybody I'm up against. So I've polished my writing style and um, formatting to where when the judge sees my pleadings, he knows the prosecutor's got probably more than they can chew. All right. So this is the second or third legal episode that we've done where the basic premise is the law is great the way it is. People just aren't using it right. And I think that's going to fit what David's going to lay down. And the reason I brought up the tax thing is for about two years now, I've been getting so many emails where people simply wrote the IRS and said, could I have my money back? And they basically said, if you can show us your returns, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Do you think there's any reality to that? Well, the tax return, you can hear in that sentiment, is a crutch for the IRS. Yeah, just show us your tax return. Well, what if I'm not required to file the tax return and I haven't filed the tax return, but my employer shipped off a bunch of money to you? They don't have an answer for that one. And whether or not you have to file a tax return is 6012, which is requirement to file. And it says anybody having gross income over and above the uh, exemption amount. And what that amount is today, I don't know. It was uh, $600 or $400 when I started this in 1988. And it's, uh, it's work I don't have to do because I've got findings way bigger than that that shut down IRS criminal investigations and I've nullified tax grand juries. And actually, uh, tax law is just about the last on the list of uh, bullet points uh, we were going to cover today. If we could start at the top of that list, I'd appreciate it. Well, I jumped the gun, but okay, so so let's keep moving forward. Let's get into the citizen's arrest. Are you ready for it? Are the Kennedys gun shy? Um, not anymore. Uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah. oh, you got me on that one. Well, so, yeah. so they say. So Contem- they say. Contemporary, uh, you got me. Yeah, uh, I'm calling cap gun, <laughs> but anyhow. <laughs> so I, I've actually got quite a bit of experience from the 80s with citizens' arrests. I've seen it done so many times. I've seen it used and I've seen it abused. So can you tell us about citizens' arrest and applying criminal statutes to fact? Sure. Um, Takefromcaesar.us, folks. It's the follow-up to wevgov.com. Tax court called wevgov.com a tax protester website in 2017. So I said, let's freeze this site just the way it is. So everybody can see that if you argue law in a way the government can't refute it, you're a tax protester because it's law. And to do this, you place the burden on the other party by making your argument in a memorandum. And when they can't even refute it and you're arguing governing statutes, you win in a perfect world. And I've got proof that you lose and they are going to talk about it. And I've been proving it since 1993 that a particular set of arguments utterly stymies them, three or four arguments, and it renders the income tax entirely unto the category of racketeering. It's not a tax. And I make arguments the movement doesn't make. I did more work and I found more protections in places they don't look at. Now, uh, take from Caesar.us. It has a picture at the top of the Federal Reserve, and then there are paragraphs side by side, just a couple of them, and right below that, there is a set of links, and they're to individual pages on wevgov.com. One of the, I went to takefromcaesar.us. 
below the picture at the top, below the paragraphs that are side by side, there's a set of links that says at wevgov.com. And in that set of links on the left-hand side, as I recall, there's a link that says citizen's arrest. You click on that, a page comes up, and it's an excerpt from every case I found in 2012 on the LexisNexis database that dealt with citizen's arrest. And you'll find reference to Washington state law. I'm in Washington state. I'm not going to do a 50 states project on this, but you go to your own state's law and see what it has to say about citizen's arrest. Unless you're in California, they've destroyed it. You got to call a cop first. What kind of citizen's arrest is that? So uh, this part is deep. You have to think about this a lot, applying criminal statutes to fact. How do you know when you are guilty? How do you know when someone else is guilty? Let's say, uh, and I saw this, <laughs> I watched it. I was in small claims court when this happened. A defendant was there. He got civilly sued. He's a contractor, does countertops and somebody sued him. And on this one, they got a judgment and they failed to serve the guy properly with the complaint. And so somebody else got a default judgment against him. And I wrote a motion to vacate for him. And he got a notice from the court saying, come on in on this particular day and we'll argue your motion to vacate. So he goes in there and the judge says, uh, uh, okay, now uh, we're going to trial. And the defendant says, excuse me, but I was only told we're going to argue the motion to vacate today. And the judge says, well, what would you have done differently? He says, my evidence is at my office. And the judge says, I don't care. We're going to trial. And uh, the defendant says, well, don't I get to be served with a complaint? The judge photocopied the summons right there in court and served it on him himself. Went to trial immediately. There's two counts of official misconduct, a gross misdemeanor in Washington, a gross misdemeanor, one year in jail and $5,000 max. And so uh, for three gross misdemeanors, because there was another one, uh, the definition of official misconduct in Washington state law, and this is just one law, but this is how you set about applying criminal statutes to fact. The fact, the judge, let's just pick one of them. The law says you shall have 20 days before trial after being served with the summons. And the judge took him to court immediately over it. <laughs> well, the definition of official misconduct is when a public servant engages in unauthorized conduct or fails to perform a duty imposed upon them by law to deprive somebody of a right or privilege under the law or constitution. Did the judge just do, just do that? Oh yeah, the guy's entitled to 20 days before trial. The law requires it. And so it was an unauthorized conduct to deprive the guy of a right. No brainer. So he and I co-complained on a three count official misconduct complaint to the, uh, the county district court across town about the conduct of the small claims judge in like December of 2006, maybe. I don't know. And uh, in April of the next year, there was a hearing against that judge. We knew it would be a farce. It was a farce, but we got a hearing on a criminal complaint against the judge <clears throat> under state law. Uh, no fringe flag, none of the other great garbage that a bunch of other people have used for years in futility. So for four months, there was a judge that knew there was going to be a hearing against him on a three-count criminal complaint. So I looked at the criminal statutes, and I knew he violated official misconduct at least three times right there in front of both of us. And so we filed the criminal complaint. You look at the conduct after you look at the criminal statutes. 
in that group of links on takefromcaesar.us where you saw a citizen's arrest, you'll also see one that says federal criminal statutes. Those are the statutes I most commonly have cited and drawn upon in drafting federal criminal complaints. Uh, listening to hundreds of victims over the years, someone will call me and they'll say, uh, yeah, this and that is what happened. And uh, I sure got the short end of the stick. What do you got? What do you think? And I go through this list of criminal statutes in my mind. It's a checklist to see if any of those have been triggered. Sometimes it's really easy to identify one. And an example of one where it's more difficult is all of this uh, mask and vaccine mandate stuff. And I got a couple of ideas for that, too. It's brand new. That's where the rubber is going to meet the road. There are there are endless people listening right now. I get hundreds of emails a day, David. So just to let you know. It's brand new and it's nebulous. It's third party. We'll just have the, the grocery store tell you you can't go in there unless you have been vaccinated. So that's not a government mandate at all. But just because they don't want you to come in there, if you don't know your rights, you don't know they're depriving you your right of interstate commerce. <sighs> Great idea on this. U.S. versus Guest 1966. Supreme Court, if I, unless I say otherwise. U.S. versus Guest. Uh, citizens from another town go to a neighboring town because the neighboring town has theaters, drugstores, grocery stores. It's fully developed. But the people that were commuting to this nearby city were black. And the uh, police in this well-developed town started fabricating police reports and making false arrests to try to deter these visits from the neighboring town. And uh, the lower courts, U.S. District Court and Appeals, said the indictment doesn't state an offense. And the DOJ took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, oh, yeah, it's just fine. And another one, this is good, the health care bill. Hey, you can't buy health insurance outside your state. Au contraire, Allgaier, A-L-L-G-E-Y-E-R, Allgaier versus Louisiana, 1897. Allgaier, resident Louisiana, buys insurance in New York in violation of a Louisiana law. He took it all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you have the right the constitutional right to interstate commerce all over the United States, and you have the constitutional right to contract. And so this law does not stand. And look what I just did with the healthcare bill with one case that I read in probably 1990. When I heard this requirement about the healthcare bill, I said, they can't do that. Um, Armstrong versus Louisiana, Armstrong, Armstrong. And I went to scholar.google and typed in Armstrong in Louisiana, and up comes Allgaier versus Louisiana. I said, oh, that's the one. It, I got a, an incredible memory, but right there it sees it's strained after 25 years. Uh, there's some things that fall off the database in my head. But anyway, I, I want to ask you something. When you get done, I want to ask you something directly about an issue that I'm seeing a hell of a lot of. So go ahead, but let me let me get in on this. Okay. And uh, everybody get ready to write. I'm going to give you a list of freebies that are simply dynamite. And it's all wevgov.com slash crow slash. And then the address of the document that I give you. So all of them will have that same prefix. So um, the uh, applying statutes to fact, what are the facts? 
what are the statutes in contention or the, the, stat, the criminal statutes that might have been violated. Here's another example. Traffic court. I have my discovery request filed with the prosecutor. Oh, that means it's a criminal case in traffic. Yeah, driving while licensed third degree. You bloodthirsty citizen breath. Oh, pardon me. So uh, I have my discovery request. And this is just one example of a bunch of stuff that could trigger this particular criminal complaint. I have my discovery request in and I need this evidence so that I can prosecute my case and defend myself. And even if there's not a prosecutor, if it's civil, you serve your discovery request on the city or the county that's got you in traffic court. And they ignore your discovery request and go to trial. If they ignore your discovery request, you're going to file a motion to compel and see what the court does with it. If the court denies your motion to compel and we're going to go to trial, uh, and it can happen to a lot of pro se litigants where you just can't juggle the deadlines. So anyway, you deprived me of my rights to discovery under court rules. The state legislature gave the state Supreme Court the authority to write the court rules that makes the court rules state law. And if they violate state law with the objective, yeah, objective, yeah, they're trying to get my money. They might be trying to get my liberty and they violate court rules slash state law. But they used the U.S. Post to get me into court. That makes it mail fraud, 18 U.S.C. 1341, frauds and swindles. <laughs> I, I can hear Alphonse echoing behind yeah, you. Yeah, I was just there. thinking the same thing. I know. <laughs> and so there's no friend in court for them when you complain to the federal government. You complain to their compa- uh, compatriots in other courts or, or a prosecutor or whatever. They're going to go, who cares? But if you complain to the Fed, also, yeah, it's official misconduct. That's a gross misdemeanor. Uh, it's a trivial theft that probably doesn't rise to felony theft, but it does rise to felony mail fraud. And the reason I say felony is because if someone commits a felony in the United States, everybody in the United States that has reasonable suspicion of the felony has the common law right to arrest them as governed under state law. And so I look for those felonies, man. I'm cruising for felonies. There's one felony statute they fall into. All They live in it. 18 U.S.C. 241, conspiracy against rights. When two or more persons conspire to threaten, injure, or oppress somebody in the exercise and enjoyment of a right secured by the Constitution or laws of the United States, federal felony, 10 years in prison. Uh, I want to ring that bell. That's easy. They, they live in that statute. Did they conspire against my rights when they said, hey, don't respond to his discovery request? Yeah. So right there, another federal felony. And I write in a way that's better than their prosecutors. And I write like a Supreme Court justice wrote the memorandum. And I come down on them with the question, when would be a good time to arrest you? At the your daughter's volleyball game at the high school or at the awards banquet for judges or for prosecutors? When would be a good time to arrest you? I couldn't bring my handcuffs because you have a metal detector. I do have zip ties, but I'd rather do it with metal cuffs. So when would be a good time to arrest you? Suddenly, it's not that big a deal to have a court of your own, is it, Your Honor? And that criminal complaint will sit there on file in that court. The judge has just lost control of the case. There's a criminal complaint on file against the judge. The appearance of fairness is lost. 
take from Caesar, that group of links, take from Caesar.us. In that group of links, you got citizens arrest over on the left. You got federal criminal statutes somewhere in the middle, I think. And on the right hand side, there's a link that says play offense. That's a 60 minute tutorial audio that will knock your socks off. And that's why I'm so keen on criminal statutes. When the judge has a criminal complaint against them, they pretty much have a vested interest in a finding against me just to make themselves look better. And I don't want a judge that's prejudiced in that way, deciding anything to do with me. And so I'll put on top of that stack when it goes into the court, an affidavit of prejudice saying the appearance of fairness is lost. You've got to get off of this case. And that tutorial is about one instance where it worked like a charm. It traumatized the judge. There's an interview of the court watcher in California that went in to see this guy's hearing. And he says that judge didn't know what to, she didn't know how to act. She was looked like she was mounted on a plank, came out like a robot, turned to face the court, sat down like a robot. Mr. Centraletti, your rights are very important to the court. The court wants you to know that the law was act to uphold your rights. I've assigned this case to another judge. Your next hearing is next Tuesday at 930. Stands up straight turns around like a robot and walks out of the court. <laughs> and before that, she was Wicked Witch of the West. So there's a few instances where I just go, this is the way to plead. Criminal complaints are right on. So David, I want to get your, well, we're still in hour one. Uh, I want to ask you about a thing that's affecting maybe more people than I can even imagine. I see hundreds of emails a week about what I'm about to ask you. So people are getting fired because they didn't want to take a forced medical procedure. And quite often they're handed a document that calls it not firing or termination, calls it separation. And then a lot of them are referencing the American with Disabilities Act. It's bizarre. And not only that, it seems to be you're a danger to others, the portion of the American Disabilities Act, but people who are faced with this problem, this is what I want to get your point of view. Uh Is it important that they email back and say, hey, man, have I been fired? Or how should they conduct themselves when it comes to this? Um, As they're going into this, they want to call it a separation. I would call it a termination or a firing. What should people do? How should they act as this is happening? Uh, America is half full of weenies that change definitions when the facts get to them. And they all vote Democrat. They won't debate an expert. And if they have to, they'll redefine a term. So the first thing I would do is say, I've never heard of the word separation. What does that mean in this instance? And make them say fired. So important, important to get that email. That's the other thing, getting emails, um, like they're turning off people's email accounts. So chains of everything that ran up to this. Yeah. And uh, just a second, I would back off of the use of the email. I want it in documents. You send me everything in writing with a signature on it. So I know who to sue. Okay. Great. Okay. Now I'm on terms with my employer, but here's a big one. It crossed my mind just a few days ago, the unlicensed practice of medicine. They're telling you, you have to take a treatment. They can't tell you what's in the treatment. (laughs) Uh, a lot of other baggage comes along with that how is that david how the hell come we've we've made it like a year more almost two years we've made it in are these things going through court and we're just never hearing about it i mean the moment you said it i knew where where you were going how come this hasn't happened a thousand times or more um i find precious few individuals that think like i do i can't really say about any other reasons for people not having come up with certain angles, but this is new to me. It's not at the top of my list. But it will be soon. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I know. But when I go out, 
I wear a bandana around my neck. I do not wear one of these blue surgical masks that have the uh, graphene oxide in them. And uh, I use my own bandana as a mask. And I touch the, the store door handle at the very bottom of the handle. I wash my hands when I get back. I don't socialize much unless it's online or over the phone. And uh, I've been self-sequestering in Washington State for years because I don't like the people here. So it didn't, it didn't really screw with me in that degree. I'm used to not seeing people. Let me just back you up. So what you said about the issue that is affecting so many thousands of people is get it written in a document. Don't go for the damn Zoom call or the email and force them to say what they mean. No, what the hell is a separation or whatever word they choose right. to try to insert that isn't firing. Um, so you want that back in writing. And put it in the mail. And they're immediately going to call regional and say, this guy wants all documentation. Oh, no. Suddenly you've stepped into the tangible instead of emails that you have to swear to and copy and paste. I got documents. And that's exhibit C to my complaint because I got it in PDF when they sent it to me. I scanned it and I'm ready to go with mail, hard document proofs. That's what I do. So for a lot of people, just to paint the picture here, in their minds, they're losing their livelihood. They're not sure how they're going to pay their rent. They're not sure how they're going to get food from the grocery store. Uh, all these things are being leveraged against them to, and it's always the same thing. Either you take these shots or so many times a week or a day, we test you for this magical flu that never goes away. Just to set the stage, David, that's, I mean, that's almost a hundred percent of what I'm seeing. Yeah, I've spoken to um, not plenty, probably 10 people in that situation. And um, you do have a friend or more who has taken a shot. So uh, team up and show them what you found out about the vaccine that they're packing. And they just might be willing to uh, put your list of things to get at the store on their list of things to get at the store and uh, team up, try to get some help for the rough spots. But back to the employer. What you're outlining, this ends up in a lawsuit, right? That's why you're getting the documents so you know who put their name on it. It's not necessarily that it will end up with a, in a lawsuit. It's so that you're utterly postured with great clarity as to who will be sued if I have to sue. I have a contract with you for employment. It's worth X number of dollars per month to me. And the reason that you terminate me better, better be good. It better not violate the Americans with Disabilities Act. It better not violate a criminal statute, which is uh, maybe uh, extortion. There might be a criminal statute called coercion to obtain property. If it's them and regional, let's say it's not just a mom and pa grocery store owned by Jill and Jane. It's a chain, 7-Eleven. And uh, so, you know, they got regional councils and everything. You hit them with the hard questions and it'll go right up to council. And uh, that makes it a conspiracy when more than just the manager of the little piddly little grocery store you work for way out in the woods. It's a corporation. And so it's always going to be more than one person that acts against you. I have a right to work. Let's start there and say they conspired against that right to work <clears throat> using illegal means to cost me money. And so I want them put in jail for 10 years under 18 USC 241. And I write that criminal complaint and file it with the DOJ who will do nothing. None of this is about getting a public servant in jail. It's about proving to them you can arrest them anytime you want. Okay? 
what about damages? What about loss of income and these types of things? Well, you, you play, play defense first. Lawsuit is last. And uh, uh, what I'm trying to do is get them in under the weight of a criminal statute first. You know what that does to a civil defendant? No. Settle. Settle, 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 settle. <laughs> and I see. So they don't okay, want they don't want to I go see, to the depositions. Let me use a crowbar here real quick. Jason, we haven't heard anything from you. Do you want to get in here? I know you got things you want to ask. Well, the whole right to work thing is interesting because there are a lot of states, including uh, the two states I've lived in the most, Pennsylvania and Louisiana, where they have what they call the right to work, meaning that they can fire you any damn well time they please. How do you get around that? Because I'm assuming that if you start shaking the tree branches too much to be like, you're fired. You're going to get into challenges where the law doesn't provide a real prima facie uh, remedy. Whereas uh, for a lot of this, I can cut right to it. I hate them being able to fire you for any reason, anytime. That's called termination at will, whether they call it right to work or not. Uh, I have the right against forced association. So you can't force me into a union. I have the right against forced association. There's a great case out of Washington Supreme Court in the 70s, how the Associated Student Body of the University of Washington came down on a couple students that didn't want to pay union fees to their union. And they said, you engage in political activity. We don't want any part of that. And so it violates our rights to against forced association to demand money from us or punish us. So that's a great idea to start with. But as far as uh, preserving your contract, there's no question it's worth money. It's been paying my rent for X number of months or years that I've been working here. And you want to terminate it for no reason. Depending on the laws of your state, you might not have recourse against them. Doesn't, I mean, on the face of it, when, when I started seeing these documents, and I've done a lot of legal shows, but I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I have a decent memory. What I began to realize is that these documents are probably coming from legal departments, the lawyers from these corporations and other things, and they're knowingly violating your rights, or they wouldn't be turning termination or firing into all these clever words, and they wouldn't be stretching like a damn boa to associate the Americans with Disabilities Act. I mean, am I wrong here that they know they're violating your rights? They have to, or they wouldn't be doing these things. Is the employer the one citing the Americans with Disabilities Act? Uh, I have seen like right now, my mom's really old. So we have like certified nursing assistants that come to help. And all three of the first ones that we had were all pressured into either taking the shot or losing their job. I talked with them. I let them reference many of the legal things we've done in the documents from Agent J all the way down to Jess Brink. Uh And what happened was I told them, you need to contact them back and say, I don't understand. Am I being fired? And they finally, a week later, got a document that says that this is a separation And it's all very strangely worded like that. And then they cite in the bottom of the document, which is signed um, by someone in the corporation, the Americans Disability Act. And it implies that there's something in the American Disability Act about being a danger to others. First things first, they can say what they want. They're always going to say what they want. And it's up to you to prove it's hooey. I would make them cite the provision of the Americans with Disabilities Act that they're invoking. Is that even laws? Is the American with disability, are, are those? Oh, statutes? yeah, it is. Of course it, it is. is. Yeah. Huh? And uh, make them cite the particular provision. If they say, I'm a danger to others, excuse me, Kent versus Dulles 
Supreme Court, unless I say otherwise. Kent versus Dulles, 1957. Outside areas of plainly harmful conduct, every American is left to go where he chooses, do what he chooses, and shape his life as he sees fit. They have to identify the danger, unless you're in a right-to-work state where they could do it just because you wore the wrong color shoes or because you went to a Trump rally or some dumb stuff. So like I said, this is new to me and you don't want to go off half-cocked with a trivial strategy or claim. And what if, if I'm a threat to other people, that must be because I'm disabled. I carry a contagion. Right. It's a big assumption. It's a damn, it's an accusation is what it is. Emphasis on the word assumption. And so I would use Kent versus Dulles saying, this is your burden. You have to identify plainly harmful conduct or this termination is wrongful. And I put that burden, I would put that burden on them. And then 20 days later, when they have failed to substantiate, I would, su- and we're getting way ahead on the top, the list of uh, stuff I wanted to talk about today. Uh, I'm jumping into a couple different categories that I'd really rather save, but uh, I would use small claims court in that instance, and I'd become a pain to them. And it might come down to where the only thing you could do to them is pick at their job site. So like I said, this is a tough one. It's third party. It's not government acting. It's the private sector acting. And so it's tough. Based on my experiences, it'll be a tort. It probably won't be a crime. If it's a tort, it probably doesn't sound like it'll take place in a right-to-work state. But if we can get down this list uh, from this, we'll get into COVID with any spare time at the end of the call. We'll have to do that an hour or two, David. But I mean, do you agree? This feels like a smash and grab. You know how they define certain burglaries as a smash and grab? Oh, the momentum behind all this is staggering. Right. They're jumping on the first false horse and ride it and whip it. And then they jump on the second one. And now it's mandatory, this mandatory, that jump through this hoop to where I I don't even go out anymore because I don't want to get in a fight, even though I'm exempt under the uh, state's health order. There's on the third page of our mask mandate. It says, unless they got a paragraph of exemptions, medical conditions, anxiety, yeah, it makes my nose run. I'm not going to wear a mask. Nose running is unhealthy. And just tell them I have a heightened acuity for excess CO2. And so I can't wear a mask. That's another thing that you're pointing out. A lot of people are, are going that avenue and then their employers got the nuggets to tell them, go get a note from your doctor. And this is going on with the religious exemption. Like we gave people the agent J doc and the Jessica Brink stuff. And when they went to submit it, the corporation said, sorry, we won't accept that. You got to go online and do our webpage. And it's basically five questions. One of them is, do you not just take inoculations or is it all medications? And I mean, it's, you can see what they're doing. They're doing the double reverse and trapping. And I got an answer for it. Okay, don't let them put the burden on you. We don't accept this. And so you file a small claims lawsuit and you attach it as an exhibit and serve it on them. There, now they have it. I don't take no. And I'm not a nice guy. I was a nice guy, high volume bartender. Everybody came to me for the jokes. And government is the last place for joking around. And so I just wouldn't take it. And when they ask questions of me, excuse me, I have rights to medical privacy and you cite the law that says so. So you don't ask me questions. I ask you questions. You're the employer that's trying to screw me. And so I want, and I would sue them in small claims court. 
okay, so we've got, you know, another 15 minutes in hour one and hour two, we can open up and talk about a lot of things um, that we can't in hour one. So how do you want to, what do you want to address in the last 15 minutes, hour one, David? Okay. You think of what somebody has to give you. And even if it's kind of uh, weak because these are third parties and it's not the government where you get discovery rights, I would still put a burden on them saying, you're asking me about my medical history. I'm going to ask you a question. You say, I have to be vaccinated. I have to wear a mask. And then outside areas of plainly harmful conduct, identify the plainly harmful conduct. It puts a burden on them. But if they say you have to be vaccinated to work here, please supply me. You sue them in a court where you get discovery rights and you serve discovery on them saying, please supply me a copy of the document that contains the ingredients of the vaccine you say I got to take. Well, a lot of what's going on is they're citing the CDC, which is a dang corporation, not a legislative body. They can cite whatever they want, but if they cite a vaccine that doesn't have ingredients listed, then it's not a vaccine. If they cite a vaccine that hasn't gone through five years of trials, then it's not a vaccine. These are emergency use authorizations. These are not approvals. Approvals take place after trials in animals, trials in a small group of humans, a bigger group of humans, and a bigger one after that. And then they have to do an analysis of all the side effects that they've logged from the administration of this over several years. Then they can approve. These are just emergency use authorizations. Sounds like pretty important ideas that you're laying down. Sounds like an important reason to bitch. You bet. And so I won't be pushed around. I'll find a way. I don't have an employer. And so this isn't at the top of my list of things to cogitate upon. David, have you done anything with medical people yet? Because they're the ones getting hammered day in and day out with this nonsense. Just Jessica. Can you tip the hand at all or is it private? Oh, it's her case. I could never discuss her case. Okay. I didn't realize where you were going there. I I think she'd be glad to. We will have Jessica Brink back. All right. So we probably got just a few minutes here. What would you like to, to get into the last little bit of our one, David? Okay. Here's what I do about traffic court. I'm going right down your list right there. Traffic court in Washington state, and I'm not going to do a 50 states workup on this. In Washington state, Kurt Riggin did a wonderful job of analyzing the first motor vehicle code, 1915 to 1921 in Washington state. And he found a very restrictive set of definitions defining motor vehicle and public highway that only allowed the application of the term motor vehicle to those using the highway as a place of business. And it did not include other people listed as users of the street, those who travel or communicate between different localities and communities. And then I took it from there. I looked at one law he cited from 1961, Washington Sessions Law, when I I read my brief 10 times and I said, why do the courts run from this like they do? And uh, there's one particular statute in his brief and one particular line in that statute that caught my attention every time I read the brief open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. And so I typed that into Google. I got 464,000 hits. It's in the law from coast to coast. Highways are open as a matter of right, not privilege, to public vehicular travel. That's what the legislatures have all chosen to call your right to travel. It's separate from commerce. And so I enhanced his brief, and it's all on the public vehicular travel link on takefromcaesar.us in that little group of links and uh, filed a criminal complaint with Kurt Riggin with the DOJ and the House Homeland Security Committee because the former King County Sheriff here in Seattle was a rookie member on that 
committee in uh, March of 09. <clears throat> and then people will file, if they go along with my course, they file an affidavit of joinder, joining their traffic court, their municipality, their judge, their prosecutor, and the cop that issued this to that standing racketeering complaint that Kurt and I filed, and now you're a co-complainant. You copy your affidavit of joinder and the criminal complaint and its exhibits, and you file that into your case under an affidavit of, uh, or not an, a motion to dismiss, saying this is all part of a racketeering scheme, and if you can't prove otherwise, I guess I can arrest all of you. It's a felony. See how I just turned around a traffic ticket in an instant with an existing document that it's been sitting there since March 09 of 06. How far has that gone, this tactic that you're describing? Has it played all the way out? It's just an affidavit. A criminal complaint is just an affidavit. It's up to the, to the party that has a case, and that's the state. The state has to decide whether or not to pursue justice. We know they won't, but that doesn't mean I can't accuse others that are similarly situated with a complaint that is already on file. It's already written. I got a course on how to write my affidavit of uh, joinder. I got a bunch of examples in the course. I've got three completed, I think it's California, Texas, and Washington, motions to dismiss that are already completed in Microsoft Word and a bunch of audio instruction on how to complete the, uh, the filings, how to amend the uh, documents in there that are in Microsoft Word. And that's how to couch my challenge to traffic court is that this is a racketeering scheme. And if you don't dismiss the case, I'm duty bound to arrest you. Have you seen that play all the way out, David? The strategy, the tactic strategy, whatever's the proper way to refer to it. Here's how it plays out. Oh, gosh. The officer isn't here today. Case dismissed. Okay. <laughs> and the student will sit out in the parking lot. It tells him to do this in the course for 10 or 15 minutes and see if that cop that cited you doesn't walk out of that courthouse. And yes, the cop is always there. They just want to dismiss the case because they don't want the cop on the stand to answer uh, the questions about the law when you find out it doesn't operate against you. Bingo. <laughs> so you don't get a decision. You get a dismissal. A lot of times you can't predict corruption. So I'm not going to say every time. So many of the people we've had on uh, have stated, like when you're in the municipal courts, the lower courts, almost everything you do is ignored or they do whatever the hell they feel like doing. Do you feel like that's correct? Like to get some major result, you need to go beyond your local little courts. What I try to do is always pin it on a violation of court rules or a violation of state law or both. And they're using the mail to get my money. And now they're violating the law against me. Criminal mail fraud, federal felony, 18 U.S.C. 1341. And I file it with the federal government. Suddenly, it might matter to them that they're breaking the law. You'd think. Until you can impress them. A student of mine came up with something really funny. He'll file into the court, in any case they bring him, uh, an exhibit, which is a printout of the record of judges being admonished, kicked off the bench or fined or whatever by the Commission on Judicial Performance in your state. So let them know by filing a document off of that site that you're watching for violations the judge might commit because you're going to complain to the commission about them. I like that. That's a good idea. Thank you. That's why I bring home the big bucks. Clever. <laughs>
So David, uh, I'll get the links. We'll get them all posted top of comments. That is going to be the end of hour one for episode 354. Join us at crow777radio.com for hour two. And we can address the concerns that people are concerned with right now. That's crrow777radio.com. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And I hope to see you at the site on the other side. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing. Come.